0: Recovery Internet Radio, broadcast direct from Straight Up Studios here in beautiful Bull Valley, Illinois. Uh, a, little, a word from our sponsor.
1: Oh, welcome to our newest sponsor, Rose Painting and
0: Drywall. Very nice, adding color to Chicagoland since 1965. Very good man. Thank you very much. And now I, I'm going to pass you over to uh, to our host, Rick Atwater.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us uh, tonight, this Sunday night, where we are every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Um, Chris Atwater, our engineer slash sidekick. Yes, sir. Yes, sirree. Yes, sir-y, Bob. In this case, yes, Chris. And um, thanks uh, and a shout-out to Brendan O., who provides our intro music every week from the album,
0: I think that song is from the album Peter Panarchy, is that
1: correct? It may be. I believe that's... It may be.
0: That's a great name for an album anyway. It is.
1: Yeah. Um, and then, um, a couple of reminders, uh, check our website, yeah. www. Recovery, recovery Internet Radio.com. Radio com. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do I still need to say the WWW? Or I think you did it. No, no okay. you don't do that anymore. Recovery Internet radio <laughs> dot com. Remember that. Yeah. Recovery Internet radio <laughs> dot com. On that website, you will be able to see all of, uh, you'll have access to all of our previous shows. You'll, be, you'll uh, have the information that you need to get a hold of us from all of the social. Media, all your sites. twittering
0: and your Facebook needs.
1: Yes, we're all right there. And Ken, is the is the calling number? Uh, how, how do they get the calling number? Should I just read it? Should I say it now? We'll say it now. But yeah, there's a
0: link. There'll be the call number is on the show. So if you're ever you know feeling lonely on a Sunday night and don't know have anywhere else to go, recoverinternetradio.com <laughs> dot com. Okay. The so. link to the show, the number, everything's on there too.
1: The link to the show is is on there and the numbers. Okay. Yeah. But I will tell you that the, our call-in number is three two three seven nine two two nine seven seven. So if you want to call in and talk to us, uh, you can. Although this is a pre-recorded show, so it'll, yeah. it'll wreak havoc with your ability to do so.
0: No, just just if you have questions or comments, uh, you know, follow uh, follow us on Twitter at Rick Atwater or uh, ask you know hit him up on Facebook or you can leave comments uh, through the website.
1: Okay, and then a couple of other quick things. Um, I told. Um, I promised the studio audience that if we went over five thousand listens, I would buy cupcakes. Um, <laughs> and so, mm. we since this is a pre-recorded show, this Sunday we we won't have a studio audience. But next week, those of you who have been regular studio attendees, I'm buying cupcakes.
2: <laughs> uh, I'll be here.
1: And I'm very pleased um, that our last show. Stages of Crazy had uh, by itself over a thousand listens, and I'm just I'm just blown away that uh, you guys out there are paying attention. So thank you for doing that. Um, one quick uh, shout out for a friend of ours, Bob Ten Gallon Harper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his band Double Take will be live at uh, a place called Escape. Uh, on September 8th Saturday, September 8th actually we're going to be there uh, we're going to go see Bob live Bob and his band Double Take live Saturday, September 8th at Escape Escape is 350 McHenry Avenue or McHenry Road, excuse me Buffalo Grove, Illinois fun, food, music 50s to 2000s hits times 2 Just says the, hits. Says the flyer, just the hits Okay, tonight's guest is my lovely wife, <laughs> Mo Ross. And I'm very pleased to have her on the show. Mo is a counselor. Um, she's the co director of our counseling agency, Northwest Community Counseling. She is a spiritual director and a uh, professional writer. And she has a story which I think will be unique and interesting to all of you. So, welcome, Mo. Hi, Rick. Hi. Hi. Hey, Mo. Did I say we were married?
3: Hi,
2: Chris. Yeah, you did. Okay.
1: Don't want to miss that. (laughs) No. (laughs) This is going to be a tough interview, folks. Yeah, Um, right. (laughs) So, I think what we decided to do is start with the addictions piece of your story.
3: Before I do that... I do want to say I am so happy you have this radio show and that the two of you have put this together and the number of listens um I jokingly call America sometimes the United States of Addictions everybody's got one <laughs> so um I I'm really proud of you for doing this
1: thanks mm-hmm. yeah it's been a great it's been a great ride
3: <laughs> uh, I got a little
2: buzz here yeah that. whoops there it is <laughs> yeah whoops that's good.
3: So my my addiction to painkillers is the story that we're going to focus on?
1: Well, I think we can start there, because okay. I know that there's a lot more to the story.
3: Yeah, there is. Probably in everyone's, right?
1: I think so, yeah.
3: yeah we'll get that outline um, yeah. going, and then, then there's a lot of different ways. But uh, a little background, when I was in eighth grade, I started having very serious migraine headaches. And I learned that my aunt had had migraines mm-hmm. and another relative. And so when I was taken to the doctor, I can you remember the doctor's name, Dr. Brookens, mm-hmm. our family physician, he told me that there was probably nothing I could do that I had inherited them. Mm. So I can't tell, I don't know what year it was, when I was in eighth grade, but... Um, we don't
1: want to... I don't think we want to go there. Oh, I don't mind. People will start calculating. You can
3: calculate. Well,
1: it's your... Your birthday's coming up.
3: Yeah, I'm six, I'll be 65 on Friday, so...
1: And proud of it.
3: And proud of it. Okay. And I'm very happy to be 65. So
1: anybody who wants to do the math can go ahead and figure yeah, out right. the year. Thanks. <laughs>
3: um, so when he said that I had inherited them, that I was likely to have them for life, um and that there was some medication I could use um, to help, but it, that it would probably be a lifelong issue. I remember feeling stunned.
1: Like chronic illness type, yeah. stunned. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember I, what he told you you could use?
3: Well, event- I'm not sure what he told me I could use, Yeah. but eventually um, I started going to the emergency room for Demerol shots. Mm. And from there, um, in between that, I would use um, a substance called Caffirgots, which I imagine some people have heard of today, and um, Enderol. Which I think
1: is a blood pressure medicine. uh,
3: Yeah. And
1: Caffirgots probably got caffeine in it. Probably. Yeah.
3: But I was so disheartened that... um, I had to live with this. My brother and sister didn't have migraines, nor did my parents, and I'm not sure where I took this on, but I got the idea that there was something wrong with me because I had them.
1: Hmm. Like you had done something wrong, or?
3: No, that I was weak.
1: Oh, okay. That when
3: people are ill, they're weak, and I didn't want to be weak. <laughs> so. I didn't talk I mean, about my migraines.
1: Plus, when you have a migraine, it's hard to... It's not like you have a broken arm. Right. You, you, people can't really see it.
3: Right. Well, they can't see it at first, but um, any migraine sufferers out there would probably tell you that once it becomes... I used to say, this is how I said it. The, the pain is coming down the cerebral tracks in my head and when when the migraine became full blown if I couldn't stop it before when it became full blown and was down the tracks a bit you could absolutely tell that I was sick
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, it felt like a marble a huge marble in my forehead Mm -hmm. and I lost all energy I lost um, the light would hurt me I needed to be in a dark room and they were completely unpredictable.
1: Is it, and is that pretty much common? Is that for migraine sufferers, that's the way it works?
3: I'm told that, yes.
1: Yeah.
3: Because our then, friend
1: was just here yesterday, and she was just about, her speech was affected, or she, or the whole side of her face, she was almost Almost stroke-like. Yes. Kind of paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
3: Really, have you ever had one?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, they're bad.
1: Yeah, um, I, I never have, so I don't... So to
3: be told that I would have them forever and that I would just have to take medication, um, like I said, it was really, uh, felt like a sentence. But I learned not to um, talk about it in my family or really any place. I learned gradually how to deal with it so that I could get the Demerol shot as it was starting before it got into full bloom. And take other medications, but I think the important part here in the story of reco- in my story of recovery is number one, I was ashamed
2: mm-hmm.
3: that I was that weak, right? And number two, I kept it as a secret. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. And you came from a very rational, willpower-oriented background, intellectual.
3: Absolutely, my mind was my master, and willpower was the way and
1: So I could see where the through. weakness would, would Yeah, yeah. because if you have a problem and you can't think yourself out of it or solve it right. plus then the only thing you've been given the only answer you've been given is medication. Exactly. That's the only answer so exactly. what, what's a kid supposed to think?
3: And I think I would have been okay at the 8th grade with medication if I could have just taken it every day and known that it would take it away but it didn't Mm-hmm. I had to get involved in the medication, and this is the key piece. Mm-hmm. I had to be listening and paying attention to when the pain was started, starting in my head. Mm-hmm. So then I could calculate when to take the medication. Medication
2: and how much?
3: And how much?
1: Yeah. So there's the there's the preoccupation and the obsession.
3: Absolutely, obsession. Mm-hmm. I became obsessed with checking into my body, how did I feel, how far Mm -hmm. far away was the train, when was it going to take hold. I also remember um, it was very hard for me to make future plans Mm -hmm. because inside I'd say, well, what if I have a migraine, what if I don't catch it? And I became, I think your word is accurate, I became completely obsessed with them Mm -hmm. and with the secret.
1: Right, so you got the secret, you got the shame,
3: yeah.
1: You got the preoccupation, you've got the obsession,
3: and no one to talk, to. no one that I felt comfortable to talk to about right. it.
1: Yeah, I mean, who? Yeah, I mean, and at that age, you wouldn't put those things together. Who would? And at that time, I don't, you know. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean,
3: helping get helping yeah. me feel better right here. That's what husbands do. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> this is
0: stuff that you're all coming to terms with when you're in. 8th grade.
3: Well, it started in 8th grade. By the time I was in high school, the migraines had increased. My visits to the doctor were increased. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I went to the emergency room. And then by the time I got to college, when I was feeding my mind, my mind was um, getting full of more and more information. And at the time, I didn't have computers. It wasn't that, you know, I couldn't go to Google, but um, I was fairly convinced that I had inherited them, that it was kind of a curse, and I'd take the medication. But I also learned to take, um, in addition to the dimerol and capricot and Inderol, I also would take... Um, over-the-counter drugs and one of the -the over-the-counter drugs was no-dose. Caffeine. Caffeine, Mm -hmm. because it's a vasoconstrictor. Mm -hmm. I remember being out uh, at one time um, offshore on an island taking a class um, in um, San Juan Islands and I remember distinctly packing like 15 boxes of no-dose. In my suitcase.
1: You're lucky you still have a liver.
3: I know, but you haven't heard the half of it yet.
2: Okay, there's more. Uh, you
3: you do know this story, right? But
2: probably we ha- I haven't said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: So do you want me to just roll this out, continuing on? I'm skipping over things, but
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you've laid out, you know, basically you've laid the groundwork of how.
3: Addiction. The garden,
1: Yeah, the garden was, yeah. Was, was well fertilized. All the seeds were there.
3: Well, there was, there's another important seed as I think about it, and that is that I come from, a, uh, as we said, an intellectual family, academic, but, but high achievement. So I learned that I pushed all the time. I pushed to be at the top of my game. I wanted to be uh, to be the best at everything I did. And I don't think that's a bad quality at all, but I was pushing through the pain. And so I call that kind of the on button,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and gradually the on button became my identity and I did not learn or know how to really relax.
1: And you eventually would need chemical assistance to 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 stay on that point, to stay on that on that on.
3: Well, I thought that at the time, mm-hmm. but by the time I got to graduate school, um, I that's when I signed up for my first meditation class. Mm-hmm. But. Prior to that, um I think I want to go back before yeah. that yeah. um medication was my only way to relax, and apparently I became, and maybe you know the answer to this, but apparently um i became um it it got so that caffeine didn't affect me at all uh, what do you call that um tolerant,
2: yeah,
3: yeah tolerant. I could yeah, yeah I could. Take any amount of caffeine, I never felt high i just felt i just didn't feel the pain train coming in
1: and the and the uh, the analogy I think with other drugs you know would be people eventually use just to feel normal right it's not using to to get high exactly it's using to feel normal right. So you may be using, you have a tolerance, you're using, you're using a huge quantity of whatever it is you're using, doesn't matter, fill in the blank, just to be normal, better living through chemistry. Right. No, nothing else.
3: It was for me, just to show up. Right. Just to be able to have a life. hmm hmm But I went on to, when I was in college, um, the pressure was really big, and That meant that I was staying up all night, studying, I wasn't, uh, I was also having a lot of fun, but I I like to push myself to the edge, so I would wait to study for a class for an exam until the last minute, push Mm -hmm. myself through it, and it was in those years that I found the -the over-the-counter drug Excedrin. Hmm.
1: Which most people, I think, would think is relatively harmless.
3: Absolutely. Initially, it was very easy for me to go get a bottle of Excedrin, Mm -hmm. and um, that changed. By the time I got in my my first marriage, um, I became I felt such relief from Excedrin Hmm. that I started taking one bottle a day. That's twenty three tablets at the time. hmm They may have different bottle sizes. hmm So, I would wake up at four in the morning and probably took something stronger in the morning. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't remember. Something prescribed. But then, just about every two hours throughout the day, I'd take two or three, et cetera, yeah. Whe- yeah. whether I needed them or not because I wasn't going to let the pain train even get started.
2: Yeah.
3: By then, I had a... Um, a pretty high position at, the, univers- at a, the university, and was very ambitious. And as long as I kept that pain train away, popped that Excedrin, no one knew.
1: Mm-hmm. So and you're I, still hiding. Yes. Still hiding the migraines. Yes. And eating the eating the pills like they were candy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some people would say that well, uh, Excedrin isn't addictive you wouldn't you wouldn't go into detox if you didn't take your Excedrin.
3: well the addictive part of it was the fact that i took too many mm mm-hmm. way more than prescribed i was ashamed of it so i kept it a secret which is basically a lie
1: did you have to go to different stores
3: yes um fortunately what really saved me was that i was head resident um of a dorm also mm mm-hmm. So I could make up stories about I'm here to pick up the Excedrin for the girls in the dorm.
1: Mm, so you could always get.
3: Yeah. And I would go yeah. to different drugstores, and I would buy lots of it. But after a while, questions started, and um, I literally would not go anyplace without Excedrin in my purse. Mm-hmm. And I, would, I, I learned to lie. In fact, I remember the day I was asked to be on a lecture circuit, By now, I had my degree in counseling and was working at the university, and was asked to go out and speak on mental health topics. Mm -hmm. And I would talk about um, not taking medication because by then I was taking, I was uh, doing meditation. Mm -hmm. And I must admit, meditation really did help me. Were you still. Doing
1: meditation and
2: medication? Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. But I stood on stage and would tell people I was medication-free. I mm. lied. Mm-hmm. And I would talk about meditation. And when I took meditation in graduate school...
1: That sounds like a headache right there.
3: Well, it really wasn't. It was a very sacred experience. Mm-hmm. Um Many of us back in the 60s took Transcendental Meditation... I think it's a wonderful meditation, and I did not miss. I did 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. I followed instructions, Mm -hmm. and I do believe that it helped me, but there was no way I was going to experiment and see if I didn't need the medication, because by now the medication was working for me, and I wasn't going to experiment. Mm. It became a habitual response without thinking. And if we... I don't know if you do this, but I think we both define addictions as when you do something and it creates problems in your life and you continue to do it. Mm -hmm. The problem in my life was that I was lying. Mm
2: -hmm. And hiding.
3: And sneaking. And sneaking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think in, 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 uh, in terms... That I that that would be understandable. The terms that I understand there's 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 a psychological addiction to something. Yeah. You know, people may or may not buy that, but when they're attached to something beyond their, the normal attachment, like you're saying, you can't you didn't go anywhere without a cetera in your purse. You were convinced that that was the only answer for you, even though you were meditating, you still maintain because you were not going to let in your mind, the fear of letting go of that. Right. And, you know, and then you could get off and go into a whole thing about the fear, you know, fear, false evidence appearing real, that whole deal, where right. now the fear is your justification for continuing to use the medication. Right. And that, that, to me, is the addictive process.
3: Right. And we call, I call that a process addiction.
1: Process addiction, right. right. Right.
3: And so even though there was a substance in there, Yeah and i understand i know in my client base i know many people addicted to over the counter drugs yeah but they don't seek out help for it because it looks so legal
1: mm-hmm. yeah and today a lot a lot of young people are using various over the counter things mm-hmm. which often leads to other things and you know and a lot of problems but yeah so Anyway, so that's so how did you get from from the medication to the meditation? Are we ready to shift a little bit more into that part of the story?
3: Well, I think I just shared about the meditation that I took right. the class right, and do you want to know more about the meditation class or
1: well, I think did medi- let me let me put it another way Did meditation start to when did you let go of the et cetera?
3: okay well, and how okay, I took the three. For three years, it was a bottle a day mm-hmm. and I never missed and I did go to a doctor, I did confess to a doctor I'm older now, and i um knew i had i I began to really realize that I was in trouble mm-hmm. taking this much. I started having stomach pains, and basically, when I talked to the doctor um after some tests. He told me that if this continued, I would definitely be... I'd die. And that I was blowing my entire system out. Mm -hmm. Kind of like high wattage is going to burst. And not giving you you all the medical language here, um, he scared me. Mm
2: -hmm. There was
3: no word of addiction. There was no... Nothing other than... He was shocked I didn't have ulcers at the time, but... Um, my blood tests, everything. I was gradually losing energy. And I think at the time, I even took more. I started getting more Demerol shots mm. along with the excedrin. The migraines really increased with that diagnosis,
2: mm.
3: really increased.
1: At when you, After you went to talk to the doctor about right. the excedrin.
3: And he did ask me about meditation and stress reduction. And I had such a good rap about it. Oh, yes. I, I've i learned how to meditate. I sit mm-hmm. 20 minutes a day in the morning and at night with my mantra. I do deep breathing. And um, that was the only questions he really asked. I don't blame him, but that was all I knew. Right. Um, I had been raised um, to honor all religions, but that basically my mind was my master. Willpower was my way.
2: Mhm,
3: work hard, do an extraordinary job at whatever you do, and um you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. That was my right, and it made me successful at university. I wasn't dependent upon other people. I worked hard, I'd be the one to stay the longest mm-hmm. um, so you had evidence Absolutely. really in some
1: respects, yeah,
3: and none of them knew I had migraines,
1: right, so. Do you think migraines was the cost of that attitude, or do you think migraines, do you, do you think they're separate issues? In other words, do you think that, that, that your your attitude about I can do it, that your secretiveness and your attitude about I can do it myself, um, did that contribute to the migraines?
3: Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So what happened in the in this transition was um, I received a set of tapes from a biochemist. Um, actually, I'd love to say her name because she's wonderful. Her name yes. was Gay Gearloose, and yeah. she is, had been. she still was. Yes, she is. Okay. Hi, and Gay. Hi, Gay. <laughs> <laughs> and she was working at the uh, National Mental Institute of Health, and. I received some of her tapes and when I was at the university, and the first line on this audio, it was a cassette. Do you remember what those are?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Said... Um,
0: I do.
1: <laughs> For those of you at home, man. <laughs> For those of yeah. you at home, they're these little square things that yeah. record.
3: She said, we're energetic systems, and we're vibrating at different notes. And I went, what's that mean? I had no clue. Here I was in a very academic environment at a university, hearing, we're energetic systems, and we vibrate at different notes. Now, by now, I had my graduate degree in counseling, and they had certainly done some broader study, but I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. So I called her, and I got her phone number, and I introduced myself, and she was lovely. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'd really like to come and visit you and get to know you, so she invited me, to come to Mill Valley, California in the springtime. But um, I actually didn't go, didn't end up going, because I was afraid that she would see how sick I I was.
1: Right, and And by the you you were well aware of that.
3: Yes, and I presented myself as as cool, you know.
1: All (laughs) together, but...
3: All together, but I had this big shadow that, you know, so... What happened after that was she called me, suggested that I go and meet in Chicago one of her teachers that helped her understand all of this. I did. And that was Richard? That was Dr. Richard Moss, mm-hmm. and who had been a very fine surgeon in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And when a young woman died on the operating table, he felt that she shouldn't have died. It was a routine Operation and he put down his medical tools, went around the world, and basically said there wasn't enough love in the room. Mm-hmm. And when I learned about this, I didn't really understand it, but I felt it. I felt, oh, love. And we use that word all the time, but, and I, I certainly knew love and my family and my friends. I had a great childhood mm-hmm. and many friends. And but putting it that way was very different.
2: Right.
3: And so I went to work with um, with uh, Richard Moss mm-hmm. and at his place in Southern California. And when I when I arrived, my suitcase was full of Mm-hmm and he didn't. He saw it eventually, and go and observed it. He didn't judge it. Mm. And I was shocked. It's like, oh my God, he's not going to judge me for this. And he simply said, "Is this something that you want to change?" And I said, "Yes, but I I don't have a clue how." And by now, I was a meditator, which he he um. In Transcendental Meditation, they have check-ins, and he helped me do the check-in. Mm-hmm. He says, you really do know how to meditate. You're really kind of a joyful person. Mm-hmm. You're very accomplished, and you're taking a bottle of Excedrin a day.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I was able to tell him what the doctors had said and their diagnosis.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And he gave me... He helped you start
1: to unwind it? Yes, he did. Yeah.
3: He he did. Do you want me to tell you what he did? Yeah. Quick. Okay. I went. At, he asked me to walk on the desert for three days. He had 500 acres. Yeah. And not to take my etc. Mm. And this is very critical, I think, for an addict. I'm out there on the desert without my drugs. He gave me his German Shepherd dog and a backpack and a and a the Master Cleanse, which is a lemon juice. And when the migraine set in, he said, "Walk through it." You go through it. Listen to it. Listen to your pain. And over and over again, he said, your pain is your teacher. So out there in the desert, I heard the inner scream within me. And I heard that the reason I had migraines was I was not following my grain in life,
2: hmm.
1: and you made some changes.
3: Yes, hmm. I resigned from the the, my, the university, mm-hmm. and my husband and I went through a process of of being well aware that I wanted to find out if there really was a God, because mm-hmm. I I I knew there had to be more of that word love. Mm-hmm. What is that beyond the human realm? Right. So I went on that search. We got a divorce. I resigned from the the university and put down um, all the medication eventually through willpower. So I was no longer um, taking Excedrin, dimerol or any of the medication, and migraines stopped.
1: Mm-hmm. Willpower, or so you thought.
3: Or so I thought.
1: Okay. Because I kind of know some of the pieces of the rest yeah. of the
3: story. Right, <laughs> <laughs> an informed interviewer here. Right, good. right.
1: I've done my homework. That's good. Right, I've done my homework. Okay, so, um, and do, do we? Is there anything? Did we have anything we are going to play, or we're going to we're going to skip that and just keep going?
0: Let's just go. Yeah, we're about a little over halfway here, and uh, okay, you know,
3: I'll wind her up here. Appreciate
0: you of. sharing the story. Yeah. Okay,
1: so all right, um, yeah, so all right, so so you you began to make some, cha- some some. Those aren 't small changes, I mean
3: no they're not
1: you know and it, and it makes me think like it puts you in a really good position to help other people change when you know that you've made those kind of changes when you've said i can't work here anymore right and when I hear people say i can 't quit their job or i can't stay in this marriage and and be healthy and have to have to leave a marriage to to a person who well, well, it just didn't want what, what I moment. wanted, yeah. and,
3: and and I do want to say this. It was a very um, friendly divorces are possible. We didn't want a divorce, but we, had, uh, we were going in two opposite directions. Mm-hmm. So there was no big fight. We let it go. Mm-hmm. The university position was hard to let go, but it was not creative and alive enough with me. Right. I was tight all the time. So I was willing to do anything to get well. Right. So I did it by willpower and also through the help of Richard Moss and his staff um, really helped me mm-hmm. and that journey continued and so about, for about five years I was living by willpower and I didn't know it but I began to believe in a higher power mm-hmm. which I call God mm-hmm. and, and I began to believe it. It was still mental though. It wasn't a relationship with a higher power. Right. It was more intellectual. So.
1: What made you, what made you uh, start that? You were looking for, you were looking for God, but from the time you uh, from the time you were on the desert from the, from that point on, you made some kind of decision that. Right. You were gonna You were gonna find God. Yes. Okay. And you did.
3: And I did.
2: Okay.
3: But I I was still not in a relationship with God. Right. I was still meditating, and by now I'd learned all sorts of different types of meditation. During my five years before I met you, I had many, many, many teachers, spiritual teachers, from all over the world, and I really learned how to get quiet, how to get silent. And how to quiet the the mind chatter,
1: mm.
3: and it was meditation that led me there.
1: Mm-hmm. And so many people, and I just want to say this for the sake of those those people that are relatively new in recovery and hear the word meditation and get a little freaked out by it because they have the idea that you know it has to do with sitting cross legged and and.
3: The yoga mudra position, yeah.
1: Yoga mudra, and and that you'll you know float gently off the ground, and it all sounds so unreal and un so so hard to conceive of that as being a helpful tool in the, in recovery. But you had all of this background with with meditation, and it and, and from you, I think many people, me included, have learned that it's not. You know, that may be one form of meditation that sort of gets stereotyped. or, or
3: Well, it's a very sincere spiritual practice. It mm-hmm. takes time, it takes um, willingness, mm-hmm. and it takes, definitely takes a guide and instruction. And I'm a meditation teacher today right. because of how much it's helped me.
1: And I know we even talked about how much we want to talk about meditation because it's a sacred thing. Yes it is. And for me it is. We don't talk about necessarily we don't want to cheapen that or make it sound like some, you know, that you can take a 15 minute um workshop somewhere and and you know have all you need to know.
3: Well, I think for many people they associate meditation with they're going to feel better. Mm-hmm. And then they can get more <laughs> That right. what really happens is you start to... Initially, many people feel worse
2: yeah. because
3: the shadow starts to surface in the silence. Right. And they're eventually going to get less, which is what we all need, perhaps, to mm-hmm. think about.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Less storylines that we run, less mind chatter, less, less, less.
1: Or like a friend of mine says, we learn to... Uh, uh, we don't... We don't um, we don't feel we don't feel better. We feel better. Yes. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. It's a
3: good well, just for time's sake here, uh, my I would say that my real recovery started when I met you.
1: Well, that's a nice compliment, but I don't think it was me personally. No,
3: it wasn't you, but it was the consciousness that you were carrying of AA at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: On our, I don't know if you remember this, but. On our second date, you told me that you were, re- can I say this on air? Yeah. Are you
1: sure? Let's just say that I have a membership at a, in,
3: yeah. a, in
1: a group that supports the recovery process. Your
3: friend of Bill W. We could say that. And I looked at you. We were sitting in a restaurant, I don't know if you remember, And mm. and, you, and I said, oh, my God, I don't know anything about that.
1: Never met one.
3: Never met one. <laughs> and so you told me a story.
2: Yeah.
3: And I listened carefully.
2: Yeah.
3: And um, you went through each of the steps. And as I heard each of the steps, I heard the core of every spiritual teaching that I had been studying, which was really not religion, but spiritual. Mm-hmm. Like the core truth of from the East as well as, as, as many religions in the West. Mm-hmm. And I was a very good student.
1: Yeah, you wanted to know.
3: I wanted to know. So as I listened to those steps when you went through them, mm-hmm. I was very intrigued. And you asked me if I wanted to go to a meeting, an open meeting,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I did. And this was in Highland Park.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Day by day club.
3: Yep. And we sat there, and my mouth dropped at the level of honesty, the, the heart warming stories and i at that time was a practicing therapist and was running groups and i said oh my god these people in these rooms these this room were more honest than my ever any of my clients and less ashamed they weren't so ashamed about their shadow right. or their addiction they were transforming their addiction right so um we fell in love, and you asked me to have an assessment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I did.
3: And I think I asked you to do some things, too. but we won't, I, Yeah, that's we, a different
0: that's show. A di-
3: that, yeah, we should do a different <laughs> show. It was very interesting, everybody, if you That'd want be to know that. That would be
0: couples counseling. Yeah, couples that's counseling. a couple counseling we'll save the date and you know, just yeah. switch seats. Yeah, yeah. we've been
3: married almost 28 years, August 31st. That's right, so yeah. something must be right. Something's right. Yeah. Well, I think what's right is, is that we each have a program. We each have a path. Yeah. We know what our shadows are. And you did, we did say to each other, um, what what shadows are we each carrying and how do we deal with them? Because mm-hmm. we had to have a place outside of each other in mm-hmm. our marriage. Very important.
1: Yeah, and I think our, our deal was that neither one of us were looking for perfect people, just people who knew what their problems were and were willing to work on them.
3: That's right. But I didn't know the word recovery.
2: Yeah.
3: And I didn't really understand addictions. My parents weren't drinkers. Um, or drug users, no one in my neighborhood was. I was a true innocent. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I went to the meeting and had the assessment, and when the person doing the assessment said to me, well, you've certainly learned how to lie, because I talked about all the cover-up of the Excedrin and Mm -hmm. and my public self and Mm -hmm. how I have this false image, and I wanted to be the real deal and even though the last five years I hadn't been doing that and I had been telling the truth there was still something missing and what it really was in the willpower was I didn't really connect in- intimately with other people
2: mm-hmm.
3: I didn't know how to be interdependent so he suggested that I start doing a 12 step program I did and I remember I did ninety ninety right away mm-hmm. of course being the
2: High Achiever, a good Mm -hmm. student. Mm -hmm.
3: And I would tell you that I fell in love. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with the program. Mm -hmm. And I saw what the power of a group does. I saw everything um, emanating in those 12 steps that I needed. Mm -hmm. And most of all, I learned that I was powerless. Mm -hmm. And I began to see myself as... um, I, I, I felt very humble. I is cried where, so hard in that first meeting. Oh,
1: I bet you did. Is that where willpower started to leave?
3: Yes. And thinking and and the strength of the mind. And gradually, I began to have a relationship with God. Hmm. And um, today, it's my relationship with God is the most important. Part of my day i it is my day <laughs>
2: but i I still meditate
3: um i still um, I believe that uh silence is critical in my life. I have not had a migraine headache in many 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 years, yeah. and as you know yeah. and um I don't need medication.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, I can't be more grateful to having come through this door. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I did have to learn to talk about my addiction in a unique way because initially if I said I was addicted to Excedrin, uh, people needed to understand understand the painkiller path.
1: path. And you Mm -hmm. came through not just the 12-step door, but you came through a lot of different doors. Yes, I
3: did. Yes.
1: And, um, and.
3: And I still work with people today that and kept them all. Yeah, I have people that today that want to know another way to recover other than the twelve steps.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: as you know, they get referred to me often. Right. Right. And right. I love to work with them. I love to teach meditation and talk about ways to recover,
2: mm-hmm. and
3: ways to face the addictive patterns, whether it's sexual addiction or food addiction or thinking addictions.
1: And there's lots of doors.
3: There's lots of doors.
1: And they all fundamentally lead to the same place. Right. That's the beautiful thing. That's right. the beautiful thing. Can I ask you, like maybe by way of wrapping up here, um, if there's anything else that you would like to like people to know or is there anything you would like to add to to say in closing?
3: Well, this would probably be just, personal for me to say that all of the people out there who are taking painkillers to escape whatever, whether it's a thought process or a um, physical issue that there really is a way through. There really is a way out. Right. Um, Having been so deeply addicted uh, to To be here today is nothing short of a miracle.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Miracles happen. They do. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for being here.
3: You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for
1: being my wife.
3: Thank you for being my partner and husband.
1: Yeah, business partner, too. Yes. Right. We
3: got it all. We're doing it, guys. It's marriage still works. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And I get the I get the honor of uh, sitting here, you know, getting to listen to my folks have this conversation.
1: <laughs> how many How many kids get to say that? Pretty cool. So um, I guess we're. Are we ready? Are you going to play a, a piece here, or should I exit?
3: Or I could sing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: we shall overcome.
1: So, um, I guess thanks to thanks to our guest, Mo Ross, and thanks to our listeners for joining us tonight. Um, uh, we'll make sure to get a link out to you uh, via a reminder uh, for next week's show. Absolutely. And, um, you know, as soon as we can. And, again, you can find us on our website at... That's recoveryinternetradio.com. You Come. want to say the www
0: again, Don't be a nerd. Don't be a nerd. Recoveryinternetradio.com.
1: Yes, that's recoveryinternetradio.com. So remember, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Give us your feedback and ideas, and we'll see you at 8 p.m. next Sunday. Thanks for coming.